Hi, and welcome to Responsa Radio, where you ask and we answer questions of Jewish law in modern times. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip, Executive Vice President at Hadar, here with Rabbi Ethan Tucker, Rosh Hashiva at Hadar, a center for higher Jewish learning based in New York City. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Avi? I am so excited to tackle this question today. We are recording just at the beginning of summer, and I cannot think of a more important question for our listeners to have information about as the summer begins. Is it about playing with a frisbee on the beach? Um, it's not, but it could be. We we could we could tackle that. I uh... we should do a summer questions <laughs> episode. It exactly. could be full of all kinds well, of stuff. Well, here's the first take right now. Um, this question is highly relevant to my life. Um, I don't know. We'll hear from you how how it touches you. Um, the questioner writes. Can I use my home seltzer maker on Shabbat? Ah. How about Yom Tov? So I gather you're a big seltzer consumer. I'll just say this. I make and drink two full liter bottles every day. Wow. <laughs> of seltzer. So this is, uh, there's a lot at stake in this question. Um, I also true. feel like seltzer is like, uh, it's taking the world by storm and all the flavored seltzers, which I heard a great take on, which is that some of those flavored seltzers are like drinking plain seltzer while someone calls out the name of a flavor in an adjacent room. <laughs> so people are drinking all kinds of stuff. I would say the quality and intensity of which is questionable, but okay. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a straight. I drink my black tea with no sugar and I drink my seltzer with no flavor. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a classic kind of traditionalist when it comes to seltzer. Very um, nice. But this is this is a, an interesting question, and I'm curious to hear where it will take us, um, both within it, you know, can I do these specific actions on Shabbat? Uh, like, what's, what kind of magic is happening in that seltzer maker? Um, and also, if there's any broader questions we should take into consideration. Okay, so I'm actually going to put you on the spot here for a minute, because I think this question is one of the ones that feels like a case where there is a lot of religious instinct in search of a halachic theory. So if you can put aside for a minute your self-interest with the leaders that need to be consumed, I'm curious, like, forget about, you know, precedent, this, that, just your religious instinct, removing, you know, your fear of where it might lead you from the answer, what, what do you think? Like, does it feel problematic? Does it feel fine? And what would be the instinctive categories you might gravitate towards? Yeah. So so maybe this is an important distinction. I happen to own an electric soda maker. So mine actually plugs in mm -hmm. um, and has a screen. And I, so I don't use mine on Shabbat. My instinct is that it wouldn't be okay. I just like, I think of all the tsuris and concern that people have over making a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. um, and although people do eventually get to drink their tea, it just makes me think, you know, in, in a broad category of like, what could be done before Shabbat mm -hmm. should be done before Shabbat, that it, you know, the seltzer is not fresher because you made it <laughs> at your Shabbos lunch table. Um, you know, it's not a salad. So I think 
I think my instinct would be no, even though I'm sure I'll get angry emails. <laughs> and it sounds like, just to unpack it for a minute, it comes from a place of almost like a combination I heard of, hey, why are you doing this on Shabbat? You could do it before. And I don't know, it feels like maybe it's about cooking or it's like cooking or like preparing tea or there's something about it just feels like too much of a construction project. Yeah. And or in the broadest frame of Shabbat as a time where we don't change the world around us, this feels like a change, right? Like you took yeah. something and you made it into something else. And fundamentally, we don't do that on Shabbat. Yeah, great. Totally. And I think even on a chemical level, right, you're talking about taking H2O and CO2 and combining them. And there actually is like a chemical interaction there that makes the water like more acidic with carbolic acid and other things like this. Sorry if I'm bringing people back to nightmares of high school chemistry, but there's something that feels like maybe it's it's happening there and matters. I, I think I share a lot of that instinct when I think about it kind of intuitively also. And then there's another instinct, um, which is... I don't know. I have this thing, water, this thing, carbon dioxide. I'm just like throwing them together and then drinking it. Like, why should that be a problem? And I guess part of this in search of a halachic theory, maybe we'll play out some of the categories that people have raised. And I think it'll be interesting to think about, are these halacha categories and terms that are actually really useful for capturing what we're actually talking about? Or... Are they like attempts to take a kind of inchoate instinct that something should be a problem and find some rabbinic anchor for it in a world that didn't have home carbon dioxide dispensers? Yeah. Meaning, are people trying to find a way to make it a problem or a way to make it not a problem? <laughs> yeah. And is the language, I think this is maybe a meta question, like when is the language of halachic sources like, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was thinking. And you gave me the terminology. Yeah. And when is it, this can't be okay on Shabbat. That's probably the best category to shove it into. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. One of the central categories that's raised around this is the issue of molid literally to give birth to something, a little bit of your language of like, maybe I'm making something new, but which comes up in very specific cases, including one in the Talmud in Beitzah, where Rabbah and Rav Yosef, two contemporary sages, both agree, they disagree a lot, but they agree on this, that overturning a cup with fragrance onto a garment, a silk garment, there seems to be some notion here of you would take garments, you would perfume them. Yeah. It might have even been, you know, a way of how we have like, you know, you know, fragrant detergents and other things like that. Like mm -hmm. this was their way of maybe freshening up a garment. You can't do that on Yom Tov. It's ancient Febreze. There you go. You can't do that on Yom Tov, they say. And they say, why? Mishum de kamolid recha. Because you are creating a new fragrance. Huh. And the idea seems to be, it's not that like you couldn't make like, you know, rub a clove and smell it on Yom Tov, but you're kind of overlaying a new quality onto this garment. Like you had like a, just a garment that was plain. And now what you do is um, you are taking this fragrance and making it like a fragrant garment, 
Right? Yeah, that's just so interesting. This is a totally different question, maybe, but do people not use air fresheners or? So great, great, that? great question. So the air freshener piece, there are questions that are raised about air fresheners from other perspectives, but not really the notion of molid recha because it's not like you are grafting that fragrance onto an object uh-huh. and giving that object a brand new quality, right? So the idea of molid here, at least in the context of molid recha, seems to be that. And you can jump. And indeed, the Maharsham, who is Rav Shalom Shvadron, who was a Ukrainian rabbi from the 19th to 20th century, he said, this is one of the main reasons it is forbidden to make seltzer on Shabbat. Because you are molid, you are basically taking water, infusing it with this carbon dioxide, and thereby making it something new. He sort of looked at it, he was like, well, you could take two kinds of food and mix them together. Obviously, you're allowed to do that, but that's just like a mixture of two things. This is like it goes from water to carbonated water, and it totally changes, I don't know how much he was thinking also about kind of the the lexicon of you know, the chemical transformation involved. But he thought this was a useful and important analog and precedent for saying no. Well, I wonder if it's the permanent nature of the change here where, you know, spraying the air freshener into my room lasts about, I don't know, half a second. <laughs> I don't really believe in air fresheners. But um, but right, if I like create a smelly blanket, then that's a product and I can now go sell my fragrant blanket. And and certainly people sell seltzer, you know, as a product that maybe it feels like you created something static, something that will last. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Our assumption that seltzer will last also goes to sort of the modern ability to can and yeah, bottle and all of this. that's such a great point. Whereas otherwise, if we're just in the glass, you could actually argue the other way of Oh, this shouldn't matter because, as we all know, if you come from a family, which I do, where there's great reprimanding around leaving the seltzer bottle open, (laughs) you know how quickly, right, it can go flat. But your point's still well taken. It does create something that potentially lasts. And yeah, I think that's part of his thinking. Like, you've created something new. You've altered the quality, chemical and otherwise, of this water. Not allowed on Shabbat. Yeah. I could see this ending up in one of these moments where you'd say like, oh, well, everyone knows halachic Jews can only make seltzer if they drink the whole thing that day. <laughs> you know? So that's one of that's one way of taking it. Rav Ovadi Yosef, among a number of others, Shmirat Shabbat Ki Hilchata, a number of other contemporary sources, uh, swats this away and says essentially, no, you can't use the Talmudic precedent. The Talmudic precedent is about a garment, and we are talking about food. Mm-hmm. And the issue of molid doesn't apply to food. Now, you could see that as sort of like arbitrary. It's just like, well, the precedent was this, and you can't apply it to that. I think it also taps into something that plays out in Hilchot Shabbat much more broadly, which is the notion that, of course, you can do melacha with food. Of course, there are forbidden things to do with food. You talked about tea and all of that. But that there's a notion that eating isn't really like work or transformative labor. And so to the extent that you have water, which is perfectly ready to drink, and all you're doing it is mixing it with another substance that will make it taste and feel different, 
that's not the same as taking, you know, raw rice, which you can't eat, and transforming it into something that you can. You're right. Also, eating is an actual value. It's a mitzvah, right? Oneg Shabbos. You're supposed to eat on Shabbat. There's a positive quality to that. Yeah, it makes me think um, I have this like vivid memory as a child. I would add seltzer, my father's seltzer. I didn't really drink seltzer as a kid already. It was it was the 90s. Um, <laughs> I would add seltzer to my kiddush cup after we'd made kiddush and drink like fizzy grape juice, you know. And And of course, nobody would have thought like, you can't mix the grape juice and seltzer, but then I made flavored seltzer, you know? So, right. Why would that be any different? Right. And so that's exactly the kind of case that Rabbi Vadia will bring. He'll say, well, everyone agrees you can mix, you know, two different kinds of liquids and no one thinks you can't make like a flavored drink. Right. He just wants to extend that to the carbon dioxide itself. The Maharsham would have said, uh, no, I'm fine with you taking already made seltzer and adding a flavor, but those are two foods. Whereas the adding of the carbon dioxide is a kind of transformation of this product that's not really, you wouldn't eat the carbon dioxide mm-hmm. on its own, right? right? And Ravovadia just says, no, the whole notion of overlaying one thing onto another is not a category we get involved in. All right. Well, they both sound very compelling to me. So what do I do? Sounds reasonable. <laughs> so that's that's case uh, or category, shall we say, number one. I'd say it's pretty conventional, as we'll get to sort of seeing by the end, it's pretty conventional for a lot of people to think that making seltzer is okay following those lenient opinions. But so far, we've said, okay, molid might be language for people who are nervous about this, making something new, don't do that, do it before Shabbat. And the deflection of that doesn't apply to food. Okay, second category that gets raised. It's like cooking. Mm-hmm. There's something about it. We know that, for instance, you don't need to have something on a high heat source in order for it to be under the category of bishul. For instance, pickling is something uh-huh. that is not okay to do on Shabbat. Okay. You cannot actually go through a process of curing something, you know, or imagine taking like a raw piece of fish and like turning it into locks. That takes more than one day. But the idea is if you've started that process on Shabbat, like that wouldn't be allowed. So some people come along and they'll say, well, that's another problem with seltzer, which is to say, when you are creating this thing, and I think also experientially part of what they're they're dealing with is it looks like it's boiling. Uh-huh. Right. Like in other words, right. it's it, bubbling. We know it's not boiling, right. but this looks like what I associate boiling and cooking with. Um, how could you allow this on Shabbat? And uh, the idea being that it's simply too transformative, not, like not in the category of molid. And even if I say not at like a biblical level, I'm not telling you it's really cooking, but it's enough like significant food transformation preparation, we got to forbid it. It's interesting because it's food was the thing in the first example that got us out of the problem. And now it's getting us into the problem. Right. And that's where Rebbe Vadi Yosef, again, and he has a long response about this. So anyone who's like into the original sources and wants to go check it up in Yabia Omer, you can find him go on for pages about seltzer and why he thinks it's okay. But on this category too, he basically says, no, no, no. Cooking is with heat. Pickling is with salt. You need one of those agents that basically is contributing like temperature or the way in which salt is understood to be agitating. Sodium? 
Yeah. I, I really know nothing about chemistry. Yeah, the salt is sodium, <laughs> though in theory, seltzer, as opposed to club soda, which mm-hmm. in theory, club soda has salt and seltzer does I've, not. I've always wondered about that. There you go. <laughs> the idea here that Ravavadya is saying is, is the salt playing a role in the actual preparation of the object mm-hmm. as opposed to just being mixed in as an ingredient? And it would say here, like, the carbon dioxide is just like a gas that's being mixed in. It's not curing the water. It's not cooking the water. Again, his whole take on this is that uh, it's blending. Now, here, we've already seen two of these things. This is, I think, what's motivating me a little to say this feels like a religious instinct in search of a halachic theory. Because as you said, well, both of those seem like they make sense. I think they do actually both make sense. And I'm not sure how to adjudicate it more than different people looking at it and saying, I don't know, that just feels like it's no different than my taking my fork and knife, cutting something up on my plate or mixing something together in a bowl. And now I'm doing that here. And other people saying, what are you talking about? (laughs) You're making seltzer. Right. I think it's, uh, you know, when we say answering questions of Jewish law in modern times, it's sort of telling that it's even a question, right? Like, why did the person who submitted this question even ask themselves, can you do it? Because if it's totally new and you can't point to the line in the Shulchan Aruch that says don't do it, then why would it even occur to us that it is a problem? Is is evidence that there is some instinct of this feels like a thing I shouldn't be doing? Um, and I think maybe my maybe I didn't raise this at the beginning, but maybe it's the machine is like, should I be using a machine, a unitasker? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I want to go to that because I think that's absolutely right. People have instincts. And then the question is, can we name them? Can we sort of take them apart? And I'll share my instinct on this, which sort of developed over time, or at least in the category you're offering. The thing that when I experience it, I say, oh, I don't know if I feel great about that, or how do I feel about this, is the question of, is it just too loud? That is to say, part of the machine piece, and let's assume something that's not electronic and you're not playing with the screen in any way. Uh, The one that I have at home is just a manual thing. You push down the button on top. It has a pin that goes into the CO2 canister, and it releases that uh, into the into the bottle. Uh, and it makes a loud, burping, gurgling kind of noise that's very loud. You hear it from every right. part of the house. Before even getting to the halacha category, I, I think there's always something about that. I'm like, is this Shabbat appropriate? This feels like it's sort of taking over uh, my entire you know field of hearing for this moment. And indeed, the notion that We potentially avoid things that are simply too loud on Shabbat is a category in halacha. Now, it's contested. Um, You know, it comes up when one of the paradigmatic cases is, can you start a water mill before Shabbat? So, you know, let's say the water mill is just going. Um, Can you right before Shabbat throw wheat into that water mill? and have it grind over the next couple of hours. And there's all kinds of frames through which to consider that. But one of the frames in the Gemara that forbids this is one that says, yeah, I'll tell you what the problem with doing that is. It's very loud. That is to say, 
the the mill on its own just going is not a problem, but you start setting it up and you put the weed in there, um, people are going to hear that noise. Exactly. Um, and you can't do that on Shabbat. And then there's a debate. Do we follow that view or not? The Shulchan Aruch Rav Yosef Karo actually says, eh, we don't follow that view. You can put wheat into the water mill before Shabbat. We don't care about he, it. Maybe he had a quieter water mill. <laughs> he may have. But he seems to, in general, be at the end of this sort of tradition that's like, nah, making white noise like that on Shabbat doesn't matter. And indeed, like, if you live in a community, which many of us do, where it's taken for granted that you can, like, bang on tables while you're singing and knock on doors. I was going to say, does, is is this law prohibit, you know, 10 kids under the age of 10 being in your house? Because right. my house is not very quiet on Shabbat. That's right. Right. So it may be, first of all, rarefied experience. And there may also be a notion of like, OK, well, the human voice is one thing. But things that are, you know, via objects and via tools, you know, and right. stuff like that may be more of a problem. So there is a whole lenient strand on this. But the Ramah, Rav Moshe Israelis, and the main Ashkenazi position is, we try to avoid setting up situations where noise like that will be generated. But in cases of loss, in cases where there will be, he's often talking about financial loss, um, you can be lenient. Again, that category is like really interesting, and we'd have to get into it in another episode in depth. But it opens up, I think, this interesting thing of potentially looking at certain uh, machines, as it were, right? Like the water mill that might otherwise not present a problem of melacha, either because let's say with the water mill, you're throwing the stuff in before Shabbat, or let's say we conclude about the seltzer maker. Let's say we follow Ravavadi Yosef and we're like, I don't think the carbon dioxide mixing with the water is actually itself a problem, right. but it's really loud to do it. It potentially gives you a frame of, yeah, we kind of avoid that unless there's some kind of case of loss. Now, what would be the case of loss here? I don't get to drink my seltzer. So that might be, uh, might be a low <laughs> level. What I was that's thinking for, of. That's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What I was thinking of, which might be helpful, and is sometimes the way I've approached this, is actually one category of thinking about leniency on certain things on Shabbat within limits is the notion of guests coming to your home as actually allowing you to do certain things differently. This goes all the way back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, you can move even four or five huge sacks uh, of straw and other things you have around your house, mipnei ha'orchim, because guests are some uh -huh. coming. And it seems to be this notion of, Normally, we, we don't allow you to do a massive cleanup operation of your house. I definitely only clean on Shabbat when guests are coming. That's for sure. And there you go. So for 2,000 years, we've been doing that. That's so good to know. Right? And of course, you can't justify doing like a melacha, an outright violation of Shabbat. But here we have the notion of tircha, some notion of added uh, kind of aggravation and effort that you normally might avoid on Shabbat is allowed. But it also comes up in a variety of areas uh, of halacha where different poskim, different people kind of making judgment calls will say, hmm, we have a debate on this topic. Some people are lenient and some people are strict. You should follow the strict view. But if guests are coming over and by following the lenient view, you'll be able to serve them food you otherwise wouldn't be able to, follow the lenient view. Yeah. 
I love it. I I just I love that it starts from this sort of technical question and gets us to to a place of um you know, like you sh- it would be horrible to say that you're because of the things you can't do on Shabbat, it makes you scared to have guests over. It's like, don't let that keep your home closed. You know, the most important thing is open your home to guests. And if that means you need seltzer, then get seltzer. You know? <laughs> right. So I'm offering that as one way of thinking about this, which is given that Rabovadi Yosef just says you can make seltzer like there's no problem. Even if you're someone for whom that's not sitting quite right, or that feels a little too lenient, or it feels too loud, or something about it is just making you uncomfortable, well, one way to think about it is, yeah, you normally make all your seltzer before Shabbat. But if, A, you forgot, and guests are over for lunch, among whom maybe is Rav Avi Killip, who really loves <laughs> seltzer, um, or maybe you only have like two bottles, and you made them and finished them. Right. And now people want more. And this was a summer question. It's really hot. And, you know, they want that refreshing drink. There's a way, I guess, what I'm offering that's coherent to say, I don't normally follow Rabovad Yosef, but I will here because of guests. I do want to potentially preserve for people the right and the ability to feel not totally comfortable with the noise of the seltzer machine yeah. on Shabbat. But that doesn't have to completely wall you off to the other perspective that it's just fine. So I just want to come back to the questioner who added, uh, and what about Yom Tov? Um, I have a guess that that of what that impacts, but would just love to hear. Wh- where do you land on that? Yeah, so this is where actually those first two reasons and then the third reason uh, really play out very differently. So if your concern is about molid, about creating something new. So the proof text for that in the Gemara was about Yom Tov. So definitely applies on Yom Tov and you can't be any more lenient. To the extent it's, well, this looks and feels like cooking. Well, cooking's permitted on Yom Tov. So that would be fine. And Hashma'at Kol, the sort of like, you know, zoning of sound in space applies both on Shabbat and Yom Tov. So it would a little bit break down that way. If what you're really nervous about is that sound or that loudness, you would still want to do it beforehand, maybe be lenient for guests, right, and play that out. But if what you're really zeroing in on is that reasoning of, no, it feels like cooking or pickling or those kinds of things, well, in a Yom Tov context... That would be more lenient. Yeah, not only that, cooking on Yom Tov is actually sort of connected as a concept to having guests over. Um, you know, you should make the extra seltzer if guests might stop by and want to drink it. Um, I love this question, and I especially love this, that the question was, can I use my seltzer maker on Shabbat? And the answer is, you should have people over for Shabbos. <laughs> um, so that's where we'll leave the question and wishing everyone a great summer. Have a halachic question you'd like answered on the show? Email us at halacha at hadar.org. That's H-A-L-A-K-H-A-H at hadar.org. Responsa Radio is a project of the Hadar Institute. Thanks to Jeremy Tabak for producing this podcast and to David Chabinsky for recording and editing this episode. Sprinkle rainbows on the line. Taking a ride to your place Got the top down and the radio on Feeling
feel the sun on my face. Just look at the weather.